here today that I, is found in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 36 to 44. I'll be reading out of the NIV because it's large print. <laughs> yeah. Matthew twenty four thirty six. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood... People were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful your word has brought down to us. And we need the help of your spirit, Lord, to apply it to our lives. Even in texts like this that speaks of a time yet ahead. And we're living into today. But I thank you for how it even applies that we're to look ahead. We ask that your spirit would illuminate uh, Mike's study as he shares with us uh, study in your word in a moment and give him your guidance and open our hearts of understanding that we might apply it to the glory of your name. In Jesus we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, just keep your uh, place right there in Matthew 24. We're going to get into the Word straight away here. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, go ahead and grab one in the chair in front of you and find uh, Matthew 24 is where we're going to begin. And we're uh, going to start right here in verse 1. Let me read Matthew 24, first couple verses. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. You can just imagine the disciples here uh, looking at these massive and impressive buildings, the temple itself and the temple complex, the place that represents the power and the presence of God. Jesus saying, this, not, not one stone is going to remain in place. be a pretty startling thing to hear uh, being said. Look at verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately. Tell us, they said, where will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming 
and the end of the age. So he makes this statement to them, and then in verse 3, they ask these questions, when is this going to happen, and what will be the sign of your coming? And I think if we put ourselves in the shoes of the apostles, we would have asked the same exact questions. They have been uh, walking and living with Jesus for nearly three years. They have seen Him raise the dead. They have recognized to some degree that He is the Savior who has come to save the world and, and He's going to be leaving. He has been telling them, I'm going to be leaving you, but the good news is I'm going to be coming back. And if I'm in their shoes, I'm thinking, okay, when? Is it going to be a week from Sunday? Or is it going to be in the evening? Uh, When is it going to be? And what are the signs of your return? Because we want you to establish your kingdom and your reign. We don't want you to go away. So I think we would ask the same questions if we were in their shoes. When is this going to happen? And what are going to be the signs? And as is often the case with the apostles and with ourselves, we often ask the wrong questions, don't we? We ask the wrong questions. And Jesus here in his final discourse in Matthew's Gospel, it's often referred to as the Olivet Discourse or the Fifth Discourse, he spends the next many, many paragraphs not, basically not answering their questions but basically answering the questions that they should have asked. In the beginning of chapter 24, uh, Jesus basically tells them to watch out and be alert because there are going to be false messiahs. There are going to be false Christs that are going to come. And then in the passage uh, later in chapter 24 that Steve just read, beginning in verse 36, Jesus tells them very clearly, no one knows about that day or that hour. Not even the Son. So you're asking when it's going to happen? Jesus, the Lord and Master, is saying not even the Son knows when this is going to happen. Then He goes on to this parable of the ten virgins in chapter 25 where they have a message uh, not answering the question when or what the sign will be, but the message there is basically to be ready. And then we get to the section of Scripture we're going to look at today, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 25. That's where we're going to to be uh, camping out here, going through verse by verse. And we have here a parable that's familiar to us, the parable of the talents. And I've just kind of laid the groundwork so you'll see that this parable is in part a response to those questions back in the beginning of chapter 24, where they've asked when, and they've asked, what will be the sign of your coming? So let's, uh, let's begin here, verse by verse, at verse 14. Jesus says again, It will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So let's pause here for a moment. What we have going on here is, of course, another parable. And sometimes Jesus 
after he tells a parable, on occasion he will translate. Uh, A parable is a simple story that has a more profound or deeper truth or truths. And we have to figure out what the things in the simple story in the parable are representing. He doesn't do that in here, so let me, uh, let me help you out. You may want to write these things down. What each of these things in this parable represent. So we have this man who's going on a journey. The man is the master over these servants, and the man is representing Jesus Christ. So the master of the servants represents Jesus. And this master is about to go on a journey. And the journey is representing the time from when Jesus is going to ascend to the right hand of the Father until He returns. Jesus is, in a sense, on a journey. And so that's what the journey represents here. So the journey is the time until He is going to come back. Uh, in my understanding of the book of Daniel and Revelation, uh, he, the next thing that's going to happen is the rapture. Uh, if your understanding is the second coming is going to happen and there's no rapture, so, so the, the journey is going to end with either the rapture of the church or the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's going to be at the end. And so we have the journey, we have the master, and we have the servants. We have these three servants, and those servants represent professing Christians. They represent you and me. And then we have the talents. Uh, they are given five and two and one talents. And these talents represent everything, basically, that we are entrusted with as believers to use to promote the glory of God and to expand His kingdom. What we're really talking about when we're talking about these talents is we're talking about stewardship. And stewardship is the administration of resources entrusted to Christians by God for the advancement of His kingdom and the promotion of His glory. And the talents, if we go back to the story now, the parable that he's talking about and not the symbolism. Symbolism is this is everything that's entrusted to us as believers. But if we go back to the parable here, uh, a talent in those days was a huge sum. Uh, I'm uh, working out of the NIV too, uh, NIV also, Steve, as you were. And the NIV uh, footnote here says a talent was worth more than $1,000. And as I was researching the passage this week and in previous uh, times and previous studies, uh, that is a gross understatement of what a talent was worth uh, in those days. A talent was probably, uh, and there's variants of, of different scholars about this, but a talent was probably approximately 75 pounds of gold. And so a talent in those days was about 6,000 denarii. That doesn't really help you. What are 6,000 denarii? Anybody know offhand the exchange rate of denarii to U.S. dollars today? I happen to have it here. So um, 6,000 denarii were about 20 years' wages of a day laborer. One talent. So whatever figure we want to plug in there, you know, I don't know if you're union or non-union workers, I'll plug in $30,000 for a talent. uh, $30,000, I'm sorry, uh, for a day laborer today times 20 years. $600,000 a talent, somewhere in that neighborhood, give or take a few hundred thousand, depending on whether you're union or not. Um, This is enormous resources. This is something that we should understand from reading this parable. One of the implications of this parable is that God has given all of us enormous resources. And we're not just talking about money here. Some of you are going, I don't really have enormous resources. 
we're not just talking about money. We're talking about time. We're talking about talent. We're talking about spiritual gifts. We're talking about every single thing that you and I have that God has entrusted to us. That's what the talents are representing in this parable. All right, so we're, we're through the uh, first paragraph here. Let's come back to the text. We know what these things are representing. And let's see what happens in verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You know, we have a tendency as we study the Word of God, as we read the Word of God, to just kind of blow by uh, verses of Scripture. Especially when I'm reading the Word, I've got a day that's in front of me, I've got a variety of things uh, on my plate, and I I often don't uh, linger or or saunter or whatever the the words that we've been using about about just lingering in the passage and, and seeing what is exactly there. And I want to do that right now with you. I want us to notice a few things because I think there are things that God wants us to see in these few uh, verses that, that are really important for us to see. And one of them is the responses are identical to both of these servants. You, you, you notice that? Identical words repeated. Why is that? Why did the author do that? Well done, good and faithful servant in verse 21. It's there again in verse 23. Well done and good and faithful servant. And he says the exact same things. I think one of the things he wants us to see here is that what is important is not how much God has entrusted to you or to me or to the person down the pew. What is important is that we are faithful stewards with what God has given to us. And there are some who have been given more, no matter you know what you're doing in life if you're uh, you know I don't I don't know what your your heart and mind is like but if you're like mine uh, if you're like me we, we, you tend to look up the ladder and and see how little I have whether we're talking about money whether we're talking about spiritual gifts whether we're talking about preaching ability you know you look up to those pastors that have these national uh, audiences and and you know they set up a, a a church and and all of the other churches in the area empty and flood in to his church. And, and they've got multiple campuses and they have these huge buildings. Uh, and, and we can do that no matter what our vocation is, no matter what our calling is, we can tend to look up and feel like, who am I? But when we look at this parable, we see that the one who is given five and the one who is given two the, the, are given the exact same blessing and reward that they were faithful with what they were given. And that is what God is looking for from me and from you. Not to look up the ladder or to look down the ladder, but to be faithful with what He has given us. Notice what the two rewards, look back at the the verses here, verse 21. The two rewards that are given to these two servants. The first one is increased responsibility. 
You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Now, at first, that doesn't sound like a reward, does it? That doesn't sound like a reward. But remember the parable. When is the master returning? He's returning at the end. Jesus is coming at the end. So when we have been faithful, we are going to be given more responsibility in the kingdom of God, in in eternity, eternity future, the new heavens and the new earth, whatever we want to call it, heaven. We are going to be given more responsibility, those who have been faithful in this life. And it's going to be beautiful. Look at the next sentence. It's not going to be hard like here, where we have this association with responsibility and no thank you. Uh, But here, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. We're going to be in a perfect place, a perfect kingdom, with with, with no leukemia, with no cancer, with with, with no trials that are just coming at us like, where is this coming from? It is going to be beautiful. And those of us who have been faithful are going to be given more responsibility and we're going to be given more joy. Again, remember the questions that they were asking. The same questions we would ask. When are you going to come? What is the sign of your return? And Jesus' response is, you need to be faithful with everything that I have entrusted to you. No one knows when I'm coming. But there's something else that we may have, um, may have, missed, uh, may have not seen in this text that God wants us to see because he does answer, answer that question a little bit. Look back up at <clears throat> verse 19. He says, after a long time. See that little phrase? After a long time. Some people say, well, you know, the, the, the early church, even the apostles, they thought Jesus was going to come back like a week from Sunday. And even the Bible uh, supports that fact that, that Jesus was going to come back right away and it just didn't turn out that way. Well, we see here that Jesus is saying it's going to be a long time before He comes back, before the end. No one knows when that is. We've been 2,000 years now. And I have to say, with all of my expert studies of the Scriptures, that I don't have a clue whether there's going to be another 2,000 years or whether the rapture is going to happen before I finish the sermon. I don't know. And I think that is how God has set it up. And His message to us in this Olivet Discourse, in this final discourse, is that we need to be ready. And that we need to be faithful stewards of what He has entrusted to us. We'll talk in a few minutes about specifics of what He's entrusted to us, but let's come back to the passage here. Uh, Verse 24. We've got one more guy. The guy who's been given one talent. Let's see what happens here. We already know what he did, but we see Jesus' response. Verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Let's pause here again. I said that these are professing Christians, and I want to say that these first two servants are genuine Christians, and I want to say that this third servant is a false Christian. He is not a true Christian. And we know that in part from the verses I've just read. He fundamentally misunderstands his master. His master is not a hard man. 
His master is one who is full of grace and mercy. But his master also expects his servants to be faithful in what he has entrusted them with. His master is someone who wants to bring rest into someone who is weary and heavy burdened. He wants to bring that into his life. This man has fundamentally misunderstood his master in this parable, this third servant. And he has mischaracterized him. And he has blamed him, the master, for, for the, servant's irresponsibility, the servant's irresponsibility. I was afraid and I, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. So here it is. Maybe he's thinking he's not going to come back. We don't know that. I'm just speculating. But maybe he thought, you know, this master is not coming back. I'm going to put this in the ground, make myself a little map, and know where to come back to get it uh, in case the master doesn't come. He fundamentally misunderstands his master. He's saying he's hard, and he hasn't been a steward of what he has given him. And so look at the master's response in verse 28. I'm sorry, verse 26. Verse 26, the master responds. You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So the master here is, is using the quote of the third servant and saying, this is how you've characterized me. He's not describing himself. He's saying, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, which he doesn't, but that's what you're saying. You should have at least done this. He continues in verse 28. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Note to self, we don't want to be the third servant, right? And Jesus does not mince words. He tells it like it is here. This man is not someone who's struggling to be a steward like you and I. He's not someone who has fumbled and mumbled with his lack of using his spiritual gift or lack of using his resources like you and I do. This is someone who fundamentally misunderstands who the master is and doesn't do anything with what he has entrusted to him. And he's cast aside into eternal darkness and torture and punishment. Notice in verse 29 what is referred to as the kingdom principle or the kingdom rule. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Again, we have to keep in mind the, the symbolism of this parable, and this reward is coming when the Master returns, when Christ comes back. And in this life, we have this thing, common grace, right? The believing farmer and the unbelieving farmer, God is gracious and sends rain down on both of their fields. But one day it will not be like that. That's the way it's been since the first coming. But when Jesus comes back at the second coming, those who have not recognized Him as Savior and Lord have not rightfully recognized their Master. Whatever they have accumulated, whatever possessions they have, 
whatever joy they have in their hearts, it is going to be removed from them. And it is going to be transferred only to those who know and love and have trusted Jesus Christ. This principle is repeated in in chapter 13 and verse 12. Everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. It is a beautiful principle. It is one that seems, like most of this parable, difficult and and hard to uh, put into perspective until we spend some time here. The message is for you and I uh, to get busy. To, to utilize what God has entrusted to us. In the remaining of this time, I want to talk about what some of our talents are. And this list could be really, really long, and we could talk about all kinds of things. I'm just going to hit a few things here. And the first one is time. What has God entrusted to you? What has He entrusted to me? One of the things He's entrusted to us is time. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time or making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. God is calling us to make the most of our time, to be good stewards of our time, especially that time that isn't already marked out for us. You know, I think in my own mind, for for those of us that are working, you've got eight hours. I like eight hours sleep. I don't know how many you like, uh, but I like eight hours sleep, uh, eight hours of work. We've got eight other hours. What are we doing with those other hours? Are we making the most of our time? Time is a precious resource that we have. Time can never be recovered. Uh, If we blow our money, uh, we can work hard and recover some more money. And we can work extra hard and make up for that. But yesterday is gone. We can never repeat yesterday. Our time is a limited and precious resource. God wants us to be very careful and to be a good steward with our time. Our time is short. We have no guarantee how long we are going to live. Some of you have already lived past what you thought you might live. But the reality is we have no guarantee of tomorrow. The Bible describes life as a vapor. The time is short. We need to make the most of it. Jonathan Edwards, one of his resolutions, he says this, Resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. We never know if it is our last hour of our life. And so, obviously that doesn't mean we're always reading our Bible or praying. Whether we're, whatever we're doing, we want to be doing something good and honorable and something that we would be happy to do as we're going into the presence of the Lord just prior to that. We want to be doing something where we are happy to go into God's presence from that activity, time. Time's continuance is questionable. That's part of the message of this parable. There's a journey and the master is coming back and time as we know it is going to end. We're going to have the new heavens and the new earth. Our lives are short. Time's continuance uh, is questionable. And time impacts eternity. It impacts eternity. This is the only opportunity that we have to impact eternity. So that's uh, a first category. I'm going to have four categories here of talents. We're basically talking about talents represent everything that God has entrusted to us. And a second category of things that he's entrusted to us are talents and spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are those things that are identified in Scripture, and talents are a variety of things that God has, has given to both believers and, and unbelievers. Let's look at Romans 12 briefly. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. 
If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. There are several lists in the New Testament of spiritual gifts, but I think most of us have one of these gifts that are up here in Romans 12. Do you see a gift up there that you have in your life? One of the things that we need to know is what are our spiritual gifts so that we can use them, so that we can be faithful stewards, so that we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and so that we can have the joy that the Lord is is promising to servant number one and servant number two here uh, in our own lives now. There's nothing more beautiful than seeing a person using their talent, their spiritual gift, for the glory of God, for the advancement of His kingdom, and to see the joy in their hearts and their faces. I was thinking about Cornerstone, uh, the folks of Cornerstone this week, and and thinking about uh, varieties of people that I've seen using their gifts, using their talents to advance God's kingdom and to give Him glory. One of them came to my mind. I don't think he's here today. I should ask permission to talk about him. But if I'm really saying good things about people, I don't necessarily ask permission. So if I'm going to say something bad about you, then I'm going to ask your permission. If I'm going to say something good about you, then it's free. John Lee isn't here, is he? Oh, John, I'm going to talk about you. Okay, John? Sorry, I didn't even see you. John uh, has a talent of culinary skill. Amen? Does, Does he? All right, you guys are finally waking up. He's got the talent of culinary skill. I don't have that talent. Yesterday, lunch for my kids, I heated up cold pizza. It it was warm after I heated it up. And I had peanut butter toast for lunch. So if you want to swing by my house, my kids are always like, peanut butter toast? Dad? John has a talent, a, a culinary talent. And I would say John also has, John also has the gift of service. John has the gift of serving. Whether he's running to Sam's to buy stuff for the gathering in, or whether he's out there cooking or barbecuing, he he enjoys serving. And so he has his talent and his spiritual gift together, and he's advancing and furthering the kingdom of God by serving the community and serving our church by feeding the hungry and the poor, those whom Jesus had a heart for, and that we're called to love and to serve. And he's just dialed in there. Now, we're not all always dialed in, and I know John's not all always dialed in, but I can't talk about that because I didn't get permission from him to talk about where he's not all. We're not all dialed in all the time. But we want to be dialed in as much as we can, increasingly. That's the message of this. We shouldn't be concerned, overly concerned with the signs of His coming. We shouldn't be overly concerned with the timing of His coming. We should be overly concerned that I am dialed in using what God has entrusted to me for the advancement of His kingdom and the promotion of His glory. And as I do that, I'm going to be dialed in. I'm going to have joy on my heart. I'm going to be smiling the way John Lee is on a gathering in day, whether he's here alone preparing or whether this place is filled with people. He's calling us to be faithful stewards. So we have time, we have talent and spiritual gifts, and then third, we have treasure or money. And this is the obvious application of here, but again, talents is much uh, bigger than just money or treasure. I want to say a few things about money. Number one, our treasure, our money, belongs to God. All of it. Everything that we have is His. 
He created the world ex nihilo. Everything here is His. Everything here. Including the things He's entrusted to us. Uh, R.G. Letourneau, you may have heard of him, maybe not. He said, the question is not how much of my money I give to God, but rather how much of God's money I keep for myself. This guy was a very successful uh, businessman in earth-moving machineries and stuff back in the day. He, he, he was gifted in finance and business. It was his talents. But he recognized that his ability to make lots of money was not for him to build up his own kingdom, but for him to advance the kingdom of God. And the fruits of his giving continue today. He established a university, you may have heard of it, Eterno University, Christian School. He's done a variety of things. We need to be good stewards of the finances, the money that God's uh, allowed us to have. So another thing regarding treasure is we need to eliminate debt that we have, especially a credit card debt. And I'm mentioning that just speak, not because this is a good financial principle, but where we're headed here uh, in, in these next few, few moments is the reason that God has given us the opportunity to work and to save money is so that we can promote and advance His kingdom by giving. Not by just establishing our own, our own palaces and our own kingdoms and our own homes. So we need to eliminate debt in order to do that. Proverbs 22.7, The rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. As we fall into various kinds of debt, especially debt, credit card debt, we become slaves. We become in bondage. We are not good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Randy Alcorn in his book that I recommend, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, he says the first month you have a credit card bill you cannot pay in full, destroy the card and don't get another one. It's good counsel. So we are entrusted with money, all of us. Some of us have been given a lot. Some of us have gifts like Letourneau. Some of us have been given very little. It doesn't matter. We can, we're going to have the equal response if we've been good stewards when we go before the Lord. Another thing about money is we need to live beneath our means. Again, not just because that's a good financial principle and we're going to need to replace the roof one day or replace the tires in the car, but we want to live beneath our means so that we have reserve to give to a ministry, to a missionary, to, to someone in need. Uh, the, to, to, the, this, is, this is part of how we advance God's kingdom by showing that He's our greatest treasure and not our money. We need to live beneath our means. We need to work and save in order to give. I've already mentioned that. Acts 20, 33-35, we see Paul as an example of this. Paul says this, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So when it comes to money, we should have the goal of giving. We should have the, mol- the, the goal of being generous. And we see Paul here, he could have simply lived off of the, the tithes and offerings of the churches. Uh, he chose not to do that. He chose to work hard with his hands and he gives us the reason why he's working hard with his hands to supply his needs, to supply the needs of others with him and to help the weak or to help the poor. He was a good steward of what God entrusted to him. Final thing about treasure or money is that we're called to grow in this area. We're called to move forward. It's interesting, none of us would ever say, 
I'm done growing in holiness. I'm done growing in love. I'm I'm done growing in my knowledge and understanding of Scripture and in the majesty of God. Uh, we're, We're always moving toward that perfect standard, our Lord Jesus Christ, in all of these areas. And we really need to be moving that way also in our own giving. But for some reason, we, we, we've perhaps appropriated uh, principles and, and laws from the Old Testament, and we like to be legalists, and so we get certain numbers in our minds, which we don't really find in the New Testament, um, an absolute number for giving. And we think, okay, this is where I am, whether it's 10% or somewhere else, and, and I've arrived, I'm done. The Lord wants us to grow in all areas of our spiritual lives, including the areas, uh, the area of giving. Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, he writes this. He says, tithing isn't the ceiling of giving, it's the floor. It's not the finish line of giving, it's just the starting blocks. Tithes can be the training wheels to launch us into the mindset, skills, and habits of grace giving. And by grace giving, what he means is that we are giving with joyful hearts, freely. We are giving with hearts of enthusiasm and excitement for advancing the kingdom of God. So these are the various talents, time, uh, talent, spiritual gifts, and treasure. These are the things that represent the talents in this parable. God is looking for you and for me to be on our game, to be active, to be, to be looking forward to one day hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with the few things. I will put you in charge of many things in my eternal kingdom, in this new heavens and new earth. Come and share your master's happiness. This is what he's calling us to. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for all that you have entrusted to us. Lord, in this room, most of us have been entrusted with far more than what Your Word promises us materially, which is food and covering. Lord, all of us in this room who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have been given a spiritual gift. Most of us, probably even more than one. Lord, You have given us time. You have given us, those of us that are parents, children to be stewards of. You have given us places to work and places to go to school. You have given us so many things and opportunities. We ask that You would help us to be eager and expecting Your return. And that we would be busy being good stewards of all that You've entrusted to us. We ask that You would help us in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.